0: got bass we are leading into the boardroom show this weekend and nvs naked viking fins naked viking surf uh will be in attendance they've got a booth there but they're also offering a discount for anyone who wants to buy their fins not only on site but uh online anywhere within the sound of my voice can use promo code boardroom on surfnvs.com and save 20% off any set of fins or any entire order actually
1: Wow, that is awesome. Naked Viking Fins, our friends Jamin and Leif are going to be there. Go meet those guys, rap with those guys. Super fun to talk to, very informative, and they're offering you a discount.
0: 20%, no small amount on Apex Series Fins. And again, the the promo code is just the word boardroom. And obviously in honor of uh, this phenomenal event that you have put together for this weekend, so I know people have heard us talk about those fins a lot, but if you've ever been sitting on the fence, 20% is enough to incentivize you to jump off and stock up now. SurfNVS.com. And then, of course, come by and see the boys. And then also Rob Colby from uh, Colby Plus will be there. Have you tried that new suit yet, by the way?
1: I have. I've been wearing that suit. It's been so nice. It's ridiculously smooth and comfortable. And of note, when I was paddling out, a friend of mine was – just, I happened to encounter him on the beach and he, the first thing he said is, whoa, what's up with that suit? That thing looks, you know, like it was noticeable. He was psyched on it. And, uh, I told him, you know, Colby plus wetsuits, the Yamamoto rubber, it's buttery and smooth and oh, so warm, David, what a great suit, super light, super flexible. It's kind of, it is everything that you need in a full suit. So, um, yeah, Colby plus
0: it's literally, I, this is not hyperbole, but it is the best wetsuit I've ever owned. Um, when he first sent it, it was the water was a little bit too warm still. And so I didn't wear it for the first, let's say two weeks. But this past week, I finally took it out. And I was like, hands down, it's the best suit I've ever worn. It a is the things that we've already talked about. It's the warmest and the silkiest. Like it feels like I've been wearing cotton all along. And now this is silk, you know, like it's that much, you know, better fitting there's parts on me that I think were snug at times. Like I'm always kind of tugging up from the knees to get more uh, wetsuit essentially in between my knees and my waist, you know? Like I need more room there. This, it just fits, (laughs) it fits better. Thick thighs, Scott, is what I'm talking about. Um, But certain parts of just traditional wetsuits that have always been like, I just dealt with it. I just accepted it is what it is. And I kind of have to tug and pull to get it to fit kind of correctly. This is just a better fitting wetsuit for me. Plus, it's warmer, plus, it's um, uh, more pliable and all that stuff. So,
1: yeah, I was just actually this morning texting my buddies on a text chain about the Colby Plus wetsuits. And look, I'll, you know, complete honesty here, I liked the neat essential suits that we had for years, but these are so much better. This is a step above all of that. Like, this is like next level, really wonderful high high level top shelf premium it's it's everything it's it perfect is.
0: yeah and i think everybody was always aware in the wetsuit manufacturing and even the consumer that yamamoto rubber was the premium rubber it was just that to get the yamamoto version of a suit it was $1000 you know 700 to 1000 bucks and so to be able to have the yamamoto rubber direct to consumer for 300 bucks for the 32s i think they're just under 300 bucks is um an unbelievable deal. So Colby C O L B Y Plus dot com is the website. And of course they'll be at the boardroom show as well.
1: Yeah. And he'll have all those suits there at the boardroom show. So, and you, you can try them on, go there and try on the suits, you know, and uh, check them out and talk to Rob
0: about it. And uh, yeah, you'll be sold. it's a no brainer. You can just feel it even without trying it on. You can instantly feel the difference, but absolutely. Like I said, trying it on for fit was game changer. So
1: Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. It's boardroom week, David. It's the weekend uh, coming up here, the 7th and 8th of October. This morning, we're talking Tuesday, October 3rd. So we're three or four days away from the boardroom show. And um, good morning, David. How are you this morning, my friend?
0: I'm wonderful, but I'm worried about you. How are you doing? Are you in full hair on fire mode right now?
1: Uh, No, not too bad. You know, um, just the normal stuff, just uh, taking care of. Little teeny, you know, a lot of little things thrown at you, but it's all part of the deal and it's all good.
0: Well, you'll be, I think, happy to hear. I've had so many people reach out to me to say that they're coming to the boardroom show. They're traveling long distances to come and attend the boardroom show, Um, which not only are you happy to hear, but I feel a certain gratitude to you for hosting the event to get everybody together once a year because these are a lot of people that I wouldn't see otherwise. Maybe I'd see them once every five years. But among the list, Mike Wisnant of Wisnant Surfboards in Jacksonville Beach, Florida. He's coming out. Uh, Jamie Dilberg, who runs the Aloha. He has a series of retail shops on Kauai, Aloha Exchange. He's coming out just to see people. Uh, Trip Foreman from Real Water Sports, obviously, who's a good friend of ours. He's coming out. Josh Hall texted me last night, who's a San Diego board builder, but he was like, I'm coming just to watch Wayno and the icons of foam. Like, I want to watch him shape and see him do his thing, you know? So I feel like I'm getting all these exchanges from people, and it's going to be a big get together.
1: Yeah, we're excited. You know, another name I saw was Kevin Morris from Heritage Surf Shop in New Jersey. So I'm always stoked to see Kevin on the list. So that'll be
0: good. Amazing. Yeah, I've met Kevin, and uh, that's amazing. So... Fantastic job hosting the event to get everybody together, Scott.
1: Yeah, man. And by the way, we're having an early bird surfboard giveaway. So the first 100 people through the door Saturday morning, paid attendees, are automatically entered into the early bird surfboard giveaway. We're giving away a tribute surfboard shaped by Roy Sanchez. It's a twin fin on Saturday. And it's a mid-length on Sunday. So both Saturday and Sunday, early bird giveaway. Be the first 100 paid through the door. You'll be given a wristband with a number on it. That means you're one of the first 100. And um, you'll go to the board source booth uh, right there. It's E19. At 11 a.m. we'll do, be doing the drawing for the early bird surfboard giveaway. And we did this last year. We've done this for numerous years. And uh, this is always great. People really win at the boardroom show. So one in 100 chance. Be early and uh, you're, you'll you be entered.
0: That's a great way to get people there bright and early. And for those who stick around uh, long and late, I often hear beers being cracked into the afternoon hours. So there's an incentive for if you yeah. stick around.
1: Absolutely. No, it's an all-day event. I mean, it's bitching because you get to go outside. We're right on the ocean at the Delmar Rivermouth, so there's a nice ocean breeze. It's going to be a beautiful weekend.
0: Good.
1: Um, I guess it's supposed to be 80 degrees on the beach on Friday and then just a slight cooling on Saturday and Sunday, 76 and 75 degrees on Saturday and Sunday at the fairgrounds. So it'd be awesome.
0: Um, I was thinking it'd be wise to maybe read from the encyclopedia of surfing about Ben Copeland, Bing Copeland. Yeah, man, go at it. Give a little Bing Copeland um, Great idea. profile breakdown, just because obviously he is the honoree at the Icons of Foam portion of the boardroom show which the whole show kind of centers around is this shaping competition and bing copeland is a name i think that is kind of uh omnipresent in the surf world you've interviewed him i've interviewed him but for those who don't know uh bing copeland was market quote market wise surfboard manufacturer from hermosa beach california founder of bing surfboards one of the sport's best known brands in the 1960s Born Herbert Bingham Copeland in 1936 in Los Angeles County, oceanfront suburb of of Torrance, Bing was raised in nearby Manhattan Beach and began surfing at age 13 with future big wave crusher Greg Knoll. Copeland and Knoll both learned how to make surfboards from American board manufacturing pioneer Dale Velzey Copeland joined the Coast Guard and was stationed in Hawaii from 1955 to 1957. The following year, he and uh, surfing friend Rick Stoner set out on a six-month ocean-going surf cruise across the Pacific with stops in Hawaii, Tahiti, Morea, Bora Bora, and Fiji. They ended their journey in a two-month stay in New Zealand where they they introduced the Malibu surfing style to the wave ski-riding locals. And together, they built about 10 boards to leave behind as gifts. In September of 1959, a few months after returning home, Copeland opened Bing surfboards on the Hermosa Beachfront. Stoner, by the way, opened Rick's surfboards shortly after. In 1963, he moved the shop to Pacific Coast Highway and went on to become one of the most popular board makers of the decade. Surfer slash shaper Donald Takayama was an early Bing team rider. Shaper Dick Brewer produced the Bing Pipeliner model in 1967. Uh, California surfer Ralph Arnes won the 1970 World Surfing Championships on a Bing surfboard. The company's most famous surfer was Hawaiian-born David Nueva, who fixed his name to two hot-selling Bing models, the Nose Rider and the Lightweight. Both came out of the gates strong in terms of sales, but the shortboard revolution was about to overhaul the surfing design parameters, and by early 1968, the Nueva models were all but forgotten. The late 60s shortboard revolution was disastrous for all established board manufacturers, and surfers by the thousands flocked as surfers by the thousands flocked to small label backyard builders who were quicker to pick up the newest designs. Bing surfboards survived, and in 1973 began to market the bonzer a futuristic board invented by Malcolm and Duncan Campbell with a double concave bottom and three fins, design features that would later become standard. But Copeland had at that time grown tired of the business and was feeling estranged from the longboard surf scene, and in 1974 he licensed the shop name and moved his wife and three kids to Ketchum, Idaho, where he began a partner where he became a partner in a moving and storage business. In 2003, Copeland was inducted into the Hermosa Beach Surfers Walk of Fame. Bing Surfboards, 50 years of craftsmanship and innovation was published in 2008. Uh, and in since 2000, with Copeland's go-ahead, South Bay shaper Matt Calvani began uh, his replica or made a replica of Bing surfboards. and in 2013 a new Bing Surfboards retail store opened in North County San Diego town of Lucadia.
1: Yeah. Look, um, that's a great read from Matt's Encyclopedia of Surfing. You know, one of the most interesting facts about Bing Copeland is that he was one of the eight surfers on the very first day that Waimea Bay was conquered. And um, one of the interesting things about it is basically what Bing said is um, he felt that the story had been overdone. And Bing said it wasn't really that big that day anyway. (laughs) Which I think, you know, they they build up this, the first day Waimea was conquered, you know, that it was yeah. like this major thing, which it was because it was like, okay, we've got to get over this hurdle. But Bing's like, yeah, you know, it wasn't really that big. We surfed it much bigger plenty of times after that. it's so funny. <laughs> kind of understated. And that's just the way Bing is. And of course, uh, what a great and humble and super fun guy. As you said, you've interviewed him. I've interviewed him. He's super fun to talk to. And uh, of course, he'll be there both days and um, judging and a big part of the celebration of Bing is... Um, Saying hi to Bing and getting his autograph and meeting him and uh, it's going to be a fun fun weekend for that for sure. There's a lot of other stuff happening, but the shape off David, where we honor Bing is the sort of the uh, pinnacle of the event, and we've got Wayne Rich versus Hank Warner Saturday at 10 a.m. Josh Peterson, who I've interviewed, have you interviewed Josh? No.
0: I've met Josh and uh, really like Josh and I love the boards that he's building, but I have not interviewed him.
1: Okay, here's what's interesting. We've interviewed Wayne and we've interviewed Hank and we've interviewed Josh and I've interviewed Michael R. and all. So, Josh versus Michael R. and at noon on Saturday. Then at two o'clock, defending champion Rick Rock versus Thomas Bexon. Have you interviewed either of those guys?
0: Nope.
1: Rick Rock deserves an interview. For sure. I, mean, I, should, I should probably do it, but if you get there, go it. Um, you just interviewed Roger Hines, which is great, by the way, um, versus Dane Purley at 4 p.m. So, those are the matchups. I haven't interviewed Dane. I've interviewed Roger. Um, so the, what a great, you know, first round, you know, yeah. that's going to be exciting stuff. And of course those are man on man heats and the winner moves on to the semifinals on Sunday and then the final Sunday afternoon. So that's the icons of foam shape off
0: honoring Bing Copeland. Amazing. Um, I was obviously reading from Matt Warshaw's encyclopedia of surfing. I forgot to say he's coming down for the event as well. So yeah. he will be in attendance. Um, and I also forget how important and good his writing is. Like just reading through that, I gleaned insights that I had forgotten. Like the whole idea of the backyard builder is something that we reference all the time, but to see its importance and how it um, played out in that scenario, where these the there's these large manufacturers who are established, but they're also focused on doing a certain style of thing. And they're not as quick to pivot when there's a new trend in the market. But the backyard builder was very quick to pivot. And the backyard builder is also always a surfer. And so they want to ride what's new and hot. And so them being able to be the quick moving needle of the industry and adjust and make those things and accommodate what surfers want to ride is an important part of the business, you know?
1: it's a super it's a super exciting part of the business when you think even recently um, well i mean you can go back to like the downrail that Hinson is credited with as soon as he made the downrail you know within 3 weeks everyone had downrails on their surfboards and then they adjusted it and made it sort of a tucked edge so that it was a little bit more uh, manageable because <laughs> that downrail was hard to do cutbacks on but And and even modern times, like you can think of the asymmetrical surfboard, you know, who do you think of when you think asymmetrical you think of um, Ekstrom, but, but the modern backyard guy like Birch was one of the first ones to do the Asim because he was super tight with, with Carl. Yeah. And you think of like the fish in say the year 2000, maybe a little bit before that, the fish sort of had a renaissance and that was because of. You know, in large part, guys down here in San Diego, um, RK and, um, and, of course, Peter Johnson and the guys with KG and Stu Kenson and those guys. And, of course, you know, you, obviously Steve Liss, he, he's the man. But um, so there, are, it's these backyard shapers, is my point, that are, move as you say, moving the needle and um, everyone else is sort of reacting to them. And uh, so, yeah, it's a big part of the industry. That, and that's really the guys that show up at this show are... Um, just, you know, hardcore backyard surfboard builders for the most part.
0: Well, every, and large manufacturers too, though, you know, who are hardcore as well. Um, right. yeah. the, the other interesting thing about the Bing story, though, was that I had forgotten about again and again, Matt Warshaw, putting this down on paper. And even though I've learned details in the past, I forget them. And so revisiting them, it's important to have an archive. Um, but the idea of him and Stoner setting out on a six month cruise to Hawaii, Tahiti, Bora Bora, Fiji, and then spending two months in New Zealand is not only is that the dream scenario now, back then, that would have been insane.
1: Well, no, for sure. I mean, when you think about it, that was endless summer before endless summer. Bing Copeland and Rick Stoner did the, let's just go, let's sail the South Pacific and um, way ahead of his time. And so, yeah.
0: I mean- yeah, John, 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 Florence and Torin Martin are still doing a version of that now. You know what I mean? Like getting right. sailboats and doing it. But yeah. back then without all the modern technology and GPS, that is a badass move, dude. And again, you're going to these places that have insane waves, but they're not really discovered yet. So you're showing up and just sussing it all out.
1: Yeah. Amazing. Oh, when you're, when he was like 19 years old, too. you know what I mean? It's <laughs> so good.
0: It's so good. What about the detail that now resonates with me as a middle-aged man yeah. about being disillusioned or disenchanted by the business and then just, I'm going to Idaho. Like, I kind of admire that too, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, there was a great business opportunity for him there. And if you look at the the California surf industry guys, the hardcore guys, they all kind of made that move. When you, Grubby Clark, um, of course... Uh, dick metz you know um there's a whole crew of sort of underground guys too that aren't names but were a huge part of that early movement of the surfboard industry that just cashed in and bailed um like metz is one of those guys that you you know now metz is sort of famous but back in the day you wouldn't have known who he was but um of course jerry lopez so yeah going to idaho pack up boom you're out and you guess what they all do it's they game. all fly to Cabo. they all fly to Cabo and surf right <laughs> and then they're in a beautiful place in the you know because yeah. forever Bing had a place down there, Distilladeros. and of course that's where Lopez and all of those guys go and hang out and surf
0: yeah, it's really fascinating. I kind of again, the older I get, the more it makes sense to me um, yeah Southern California, while it felt like a perfect location for me for my 20s and 30s because there's always waves you know like there's there's waves 300 days a year in Orange County surfable waves anyways Um, and access to everything else just makes life so convenient but those waves aren't that fun anymore nine nine not nine times out of ten but seven times out of ten I go surfing and it's really just obligatory it's not like I'm really getting the thrill that I once got I'm just doing it because it's what I do and so whether it's surfing in a wave pool last week or certainly going to El Salvador in April, those are the things that are kind of like the highlights throughout the year that it's like, that's really what I want to do. If I could just be traveling and surfing good waves, that's all that I would do, you know? And like, so.
1: I've got B.B. King in my head right now.
0: Which is <laughs> Exactly. <laughs>
1: away from me. I can't sing very well, and you should hear how crappy I play the guitar. But that's what's in my head. The thrill is gone. It's
0: a, I, it's relatable. Did he write that song in his mid forties? Because it is relatable. Uh, but the, but so to those guys to identify like Ketchum Idaho or wherever it is, uh is a phenomenal way of life. Like it's gorgeous, and then of course they're all those guys were skiing too. Like the skiing's amazing. It's a gorgeous way of life. We could raise our kids in a great location and then still go surf. If we've cashed out, we got enough money to travel and go surf when the waves get good and we'll go to warm water. I think they got it figured out, man.
1: Yeah. And a lot of people have, are thinking like you're thinking. And I know that, um, you know, my wife and I, and, a, you know, thousands of other California surfers that are in their 30s and 40s, um, and even later, are like, where can I just, why, I'm ready to bail. You know, like it's kind of lame. It's not like it used to be. And um, a lot of that is just your own attitude about things, but but there's a lot of truth to that too, right? I mean, it's, it's just not the way it used to be. And, and so it's hard to figure out where to go. Though. Like it's, it, everywhere's kind of as expensive as California is, you know? And the weather is unbeatable here. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's the main reason why I think people want to leave is the expense. Like it isn't like like it used to be, but then you're also paying uh, double or triple the price that you used to pay for whatever. I mean, I paid over $7 a gallon for gas two days ago.
1: That part is mind-blowing. Yeah. Saudi Arabia just went, yeah, you know what? Let's just turn off the spigot because it's an election year. Yeah. <laughs> we want our guy to win.
0: Yeah. And I got some listener line stuff or um, – messages from people that I can address later in a different segment of the show. But the point is it's harder and harder to exist. It's harder to buy a house, even surfboards, you know, it's hard to buy the amount of surfboards that you might've used to buy. Um, so yeah, that's why I think people start looking elsewhere, but at any rate boardroom show, did you have anything else that you wanted to address?
1: Well, I mean, look, I'll real quick, I'll just tell you that we've got the boardroom talks, right? Um, There's gonna be uh, Jimmy Medico and Tom Curran, and it's gonna be moderated by Jamie Brissick. That's about the book that Jimmy came out with, Shaping Surf History. Um, We've got a foil discussion. Let's get you started. Why why is this thing so much fun? Uh, Talk with foil industry experts about getting started on foiling, and what a great, foiling's so good when it's small here in California, and talk about reinvigorating the thrill. Um, and so there's that, and uh, there's Ben Gravy, YouTube influencer Ben Gravy, is going to be doing autograph signings, um, surfboard shaping classes with the UCSD Craft Center. Uh, Steve Sherman has a talk story photo exhibit with Kelly Slater and Andy Irons. Uh, oh, it's about Kelly Slater and Andy Irons. It's called War and Peace, and it's a journey through Steve's great photos of that time when Kelly and Andy were were both friends and, I guess, frenemies. And um, that'll be Saturday at 3 p.m. in in steve sherman's booth and uh sunday vince longo a fin designer is going to be talking with ricky rossi who's a fluid dynamics consultant and phd about surfboard fins and how they work and why you should care about that and um of course we've got music pat kern and tom kern are going to be playing saturday at 2 p.m the four stringers at 3 p.m sunday the juvenile seagulls are playing at 11 a.m who just played with um uh, John, John Florence and Pizel were doing something here in Oceanside and the band Five Point, a local high school band, is going to be playing Sunday at one o'clock and uh, just a ton more stuff. I mean, we've got the Bing uh, or the Bonser Best in Show board build off. That's going to be intense. There's so many incredible Bonsers coming in. Uh, the entire you know surfboard build, building uh, industry has been asked to submit a board. So there's going to be quite a few Bonsers there. And um, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot to see, a lot of people to talk to, and it's just going to be a great weekend of good fun.
0: Need more than two days to pull this off, man. Um, yeah. It's... Feels like a week's worth of programming. But as you're talking about each segment, I'm thinking in the given category that you just talked about, you got the A-lister speaking on it. You know, like these are the A-listers in a given area uh, holding court, whether it's the playing the music with Tom Gurn or the talking about fins or the, uh, photography stuff. It's like all the best of the best.
1: Yeah, man, it's going to be good. It's we're, we're, we're having a, we're having a good time getting ready for it. And it's this weekend, Saturday, and Sunday, Mar Fairgrounds.
0: Well, a couple of things tangential. I saw that stab posted that article about, um, surfboard manufacturing and kind of the economics surrounding it. And you were quoted in the article. You were one of the people they interviewed for that piece.
1: I'm, I'm trying to find that article. Which one is it? <laughs> <laughs> are you, are you surfboards? You? No. You didn't even read it? No, I had no idea anything about it. When was it? When did it come out?
0: Um, in the last couple of days. It's I'll find it. It's the very most recent article when you pull is up StabMag.com. It's Stabmag.
1: just a feature.
0: How to build a surfboard factory?
1: Oh, okay, Brian Dickerson. Okay,
0: yeah. So you don't remember providing the quotes for this article?
1: I I, I do. I think it was I think it was last year though.
0: Oh, okay. Well, the article is um, really about the economics surrounding yeah. building a surfboard or building a surfboard factory in Southern California. Yeah, and, yeah. And uh, I think it's kind of an indicator that things are going not to be a spoiler and reveal what the is about, but it's an indicator that things are going one of two ways. Either if you don't charge enough for your surfboard as a manufacturer, you're going to be forced out of Southern California, maybe California at large. And then if you stick around board prices inevitably have to go up to support. And this is kind of the economics that they offer are about building out a factory today. There are a lot of factories that have been uh, built, let's say, in the 80s, and so they're kind of grandfathered in, in regard to regulation. But regulations change, of course, over time and become more strict. And so if you're going to build a factory today, it is going to cost you you know, a lot of money, depending on the size, upwards of six figures. And then, of course, uh, compliance laws with employees and all that sort of stuff, add to the expense operating expenses and so it's just wildly expensive to do and so i think this article is a great little uh peek behind the curtain and a harbinger of where surfboards are going to come from in the next 10 years and what the pricing might look like for the consumer
1: yeah i mean it's a it's sort of a fluid situation um it's constantly changing but um there, there are a lot of, you know, there's supply and demand and there's, um, what we talked about, like surfers wanting to get the latest, greatest rather quickly. And, um, and then, you know, those guys that are churning out backyard surfboards or small little factories in Oceanside having to deal with regulations. And, um, for the most part, they've got it figured out, but it's a moving target. These things change, these regulations change and, um, you know, there's some guys that are like, you know what, I'm just going to build boards in Utah or Nevada and just it's cheaper to just help drive them across. Uh, regulations weigh less. Or uh, some people are building boards right down here in Ensenada, Mexico and um, driving, them, driving them up. Um, and, you know, I don't know too much about all of that. I just, I just know it exists. Well, what about Utah or Nevada? Does that exist? Yeah. Yeah, there's Chris Ruddy has a factory in Nevada, uh, or might be in Utah. But it's right there on the one of those borders, and and he makes all his boards there, and and just has them driven over.
0: It's um, I mean, it's a, it's
1: a smart business decision. He it is it.
0: so. I wonder what his employees look like. I mean, are they obviously they're not surfers, right?
1: I don't know. You'd have to speak to him about it. But they have a little standing wave there that he's always sending me videos of them surfing. So. He's got a crew of guys that are surfers there and that like I said there is a wave pool of sorts out there that's like just super ghetto it's kind of it's not like hey come to our wave pool it's like hey we got this cool little place that we know about and, uh,
0: and I thought when you said standing wave I thought you meant like in a river it's
1: I need to look at it again you know it's it's something where they're surfing and there's a crew of guys that are they've got a little culture there
0: amazing well now, so I was talking to a buddy last week, and he's like, look, from a business standpoint, he he goes, I see there's all these little glass shops everywhere, right? Like in a given community, whether it's the South Bay or Oceanside or San Clemente, there's a bunch of different individual little glass shops. And everything's expensive. Overhead's expensive, materials are expensive, and you're just doing it on your own. And so the margins are super thin. He's like, just looking at it from the outside, looking in as a business, it would make a lot of sense to get a large facility and everybody pool their assets and reduce expenses and uh, accommodate everybody. And I'm like, yeah, that makes perfect sense, except this all happens in coastal communities and you can't find a large footprint building for you know a reasonable cost and so that's the limitation there but you could go inland like if you went into Uh uh, the inland empire just an hour or two inland you could find the right location uh, reasonable cost but then the problem is it's all surfer labor so how do you get the laborers to leave the beach to go out there to build surfboards in the desert or wherever it is so there's Um, a conundrum.
1: That's one of the problems, and the other problem is, let's just say you get labor, and you have this massive warehouse that's, I don't know, let's say it's 80,000, 100,000 square feet. Right now, the market's tight. Like, people are having a hard time. They don't wanna build boards. They're laying people off. And so, the market is such a, it's so volatile, you know? It's not like making cars, where you're like, we're guaranteed we're selling, you know, a million point five units this year, no matter what. We're, you know, we're always gonna build a million point five units. Like we're just turning over vehicles, you know. Surfboard market, like in COVID, as you know, we couldn't find enough labor and we couldn't spit out enough surfboards. And right now there seems to be a glut in the market, you know, and that's why actually, frankly, there's gonna be really good deals at the boardroom shows because it's a buyer's market.
0: Yeah. Well, so you're saying when the market goes down and you're carrying that large expense that's yeah, where times. Like, yeah,
1: Yeah, but, you're laying people off and you're like, what am I doing? And you don't know when it's going to come back. Like you can be sitting for six months yeah. going, shit, I've got one employee and we're doing 100 boards and I, what I'm supposed to have is 30 employees and we're doing 3,000 boards.
0: Yeah. Driftline.co, Scott Bass, promo code SPIT for 15% off your Drifties.
1: Go to Driftline.co, 15% off. The promo code is SPIT. Get your Drifties. These are the all-fashion, all-function board short. uh, Wetsuit liner on the inside keeps you warm and keeps you compressed. And, of course, all-fashion, just your standard super groovy board short on the outside. And um, all the shapers at the boardroom show are going to get a pair of Drifties. So they're going to be psyched. And you need to get yours. Go to uh, to Driftline.co. Promo code SPIT. 15% off.
0: And then also realwatersports.com. So many of the shapers who we discussed throughout this episode have boards available at realwatersports.com. Large manufacturers, uh, backyard builders, and Roger Hines, who I interviewed this past week, has a bunch of boards at realwatersports. So get everything you need at realwatersports.com. It's a no-brainer. One-stop shop. realwatersports.com. Thank you very much. I got a listener message, I think it was a listener line call, but it was a little bit too rambling to play it for you. Mm. But ultimately they were asking, they're like, look, you guys talk about surfboard prices need to increase in order to maintain interested employees, essentially, is what it is, so that these guys don't go and work construction instead. Uh, and they go, I get that, but I can't afford, like, if you need a board to be 2000 bucks, I cannot afford a $2,000 surfboard. I have to save. they're like, I'm barely getting by as it is. I work as a bartender or whatever. And, um, I have to save 200 bucks a month for seven months in order to buy the $1,400 surfboard that I want to buy. And that means I can only buy maybe two a year at most. Uh, so, who are these people that you are suggesting could buy those surfboards you know
1: yeah he uh, he brings up a great point and it's and it depends on what area you live in um you know it's interesting right like here in san diego we have coastal dwelling coastal loving homeowners that are employed and um they have some disposable income um now It used to be the case when I was say in my teens and 20s, you could rent a place in Del Mar or Pacific Beach or in Oceanside for like $300 a month and and be that guy that's kind of like hand to mouth, but also has money because it's not expensive to live here. Well, now it's expensive to live here. And so it's two things. One, the people that can't afford to live here are also those that have disposable income and the ones that can't afford to live here are also the ones that don't have disposable income or are just completely grinding to try to stay afloat here right and so it, you know there's there's two different sort of sides to that market you know and he's unfortunately on the side that's that's um, you know is in need a little of some more
0: resources well i was my response initial response to it was we don't need as many surfboards as we have. Like, If you can only afford two a year, I think that's the right number of surfboards that most people should have a year. Um, I'm fortunate to have the benefit of a lot of access and I get things for you know cost or whatever, so I have a bunch of surfboards. But prior to me having access, things I was living like you were talking about where uh, it was less expensive to live and so I could have a bunch of different surfboards and I had a 10 board quiver essentially throughout my whole life but I didn't need it. You know, if I look back, I never needed access to all 10 boards. I could always justify why I needed it because, or why I thought I needed it because different conditions call for different boards. And just in case I want to make sure I have this in hindsight, I really only ride a couple boards a year and they're just my steadfast boards that I ride, you know? So if the boards are well-made and they do cost $2,000, I think you can pick two and ride those two.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And, um, Really, I feel like what you need is, you need a board for small waves, and you need a short board for marginal waves, and you need a short board for really good waves. I think those three boards were gonna keep you happy and in the water, you know? A long board, maybe a good fish, and a really good three-fin or quad-fin for good tubing waves. Yeah, You know, like at Black's or Baja Malibu or where, you know somewhere where it's good, or when you go on a trip, you know? And well, um, longboard can kind of just be there for 10 years so yeah. you can ride that longboard for 10 years. And then you've got the two boards that you speak of that are sort of in your, that's it, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, one final question, also tangential, but uh, it came up in some of my conversation regarding this stuff is just a magic surfboard. How many boards have you had that felt amazing on the first wave and were they all from a certain manufacturer or shaper? I've had,
1: um, I've had quite a few really good surfboards, um, but the ones that come to mind, I had a Terry Goldsmith Rusty, a Wayne Lynch model. Hmm. That was insane. And I had a Brian Bulkley 3-fin in the 80s that was just insane. It was a used board I bought. By the way, all of these boards were used. (laughs) That's interesting. Because the other one that really sticks out to me is, you know, the Mike Henson Fish, the Golden Nugget that I rode for, like, eight years. That was, like, my only board. And um, all three of those boards were used boards. (laughs) That's interesting. That is very interesting. Yeah. And – first first session love the board i mean look the ci every day that i just got for my trip to indo that board's super buttery i would i can't recommend that board enough like that's kind of like the perfect middle-aged guy board yeah it's you know it's just a killer tri and, and i mean at some point you know they get these things dialed you know what i mean and they're making little teeny micro changes for the pros guess what they got the board for you and i dialed you know and there's a lot of companies that have that um And there's so many good surfboards out there that are because, because really you and I and the average consumer, we're not asking for too much. We want a board that's responsive off the bottom, responsive off the top. I'm not doing errors. I'm not 18 years old. And guess what? About 95% of the, of the consuming audience isn't either.
0: Right.
1: You know, maybe, maybe 90% of us. We're just, we just want to catch waves, which means you have more fun, which is what Roger Hines was talking about in your interview with him. Like, and you know who else had really brought that up was um, Mike Eaton. Mike Eaton was like the first guy to kind of go, hey, guess what? Ride a 7'6". And this was, you know, back when everyone was riding 6'2 chips, you know, in 1983 yeah. or whatever. He's like, you know what? You, everyone needs an eight-foot bonzer. <laughs> you're going to have a lot of fun. <laughs> you're going to catch tons of waves. Because catching waves, you can't have fun unless you're catching waves. And yeah. if you're not catching waves... You're struggling. You might look good on the beach walking around with that board under your arm. But so anyway, that speaks to um, what Roger Hines was saying in your interview with him. Yeah. You know, I would recommend an eight foot surfboard. I know it doesn't look sexy, but that's probably a good call.
0: It's so true. Like if you're not really surfing every day, but you're thinking about surfing every day, your expectation for yourself is inflated. You're just like, you think that you can do all this stuff. And then you start thinking about which surfboards you need for that, doing that stuff that you're never going to end up doing anyways. But if you're actually surfing every day, you want to make it easy. You know, you want to simplify the process. You don't want to paddle that hard. You want to get in earlier than everybody else. And that's where the eight footer comes in. And then you realize, yeah, I'm not doing anything. Once I'm on the wave, I'm kind of just banking off of the bottom, banking off of the top. And so, yeah, the bigger boards can still do that
1: absolutely especially cool. here in San Diego
0: yeah well exactly it depends where you are i suppose but uh talking about magical magic surfboards i was thinking i've had the way that i phrased it to you is on the first wave that you just know the board's good i've had other boards that it takes 5 sessions takes a few sessions to unlock it but then they become magic and so um like the uh, Morning of the Earth, you know, channel bottom twin fin 610 that Torn Martin rides. And uh, I got one four years ago.
1: That's your go-to board.
0: Isn't it, it? I mean, it has been off and on throughout the years, but it was for that first year or two. But it took me a few sessions. like, And I think it was more because I'd never ridden a board like that. So yeah. I just didn't really know what to do or how to do it. But then once I watched enough Torn footage and kind of realized the way that I should approach it, Then it felt great, and it's felt great ever since. But it took a while. I had a uh, quad fin from Vulcan, Dane Hans at Vulcan. I literally was going to give the board away after the fourth session. And then fine, thankfully I didn't. And in the fifth session, it finally all locked in. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I just loved that board as well. But then on the flip side of that, boards that go great the first time, I've had a couple of albums that were like, right out of the gate, you know, just felt amazing and continued to. It's not like those ones drop off, but they continue to. And you're also right now that you say the CI uh, board, the boards that I've had from CI have always felt fantastic right out of the gate and continue to be reliable.
1: Yeah. that's the kind of thing with, with, like with lost, I feel that way with lost, like with Matt's boards or the CIs, they're building so many boards that they've They've really done a great job of sort of making, you know, for lack of a better phrase, the average Joe type of board. Like, I know that you, you feel like you could pick up a lost and go, look, I'm taking this board to Indo, and I know I'm going to be stoked. That's the way I feel about Channel Islands. Um, that's the way I feel about Lost. That's the way I feel about Rusty. That's a great example. I know I can grab boards from those guys and they're pretty damn freaking good right off the bat. Now, you take something from um, sort of more of like a, uh, I guess for lack of a better phrase, we will say backyard shaper. And I don't mean to say that Dane's a backyard shaper because Dane's brilliant and knows his shit. And all of these guys do, but but you start to get a little bit more uh, avant-garde type of designs that they're even testing and pushing the limits a little bit. And they're trying to get new feelings and new sensations. And sometimes those ones take some time.
0: Yeah, well, construction matters as well, and so in the larger factories where their laminators and their sanders are doing a ton of boards, I think they get that dialed in to be super, super consistent, and so that eliminates a variable as well.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. That's that's a, a great point. They, they've just eliminated variables. It's kind of yeah. what we're getting at. Yeah.
0: So I'm wondering though, why are those magic boards that you named all used? Like, what is it about that that is the common denominator?
1: i don't know i i I know that the terry goldsmith wayne lynch evolution by rusty well that board was probably made in 89 i probably bought it in 94 or something and it was just you know it was just a it was kind of just a basic cool wider trifen that was like an easy board to ride Uh, i i don't know that's just a random thing that the you know That they were used boards but uh, i'm not sure
0: super weird well um that's all i've got in regard to boardroom or surfboard related stuff i've also got the quicksilver festival that i want to touch back on after last week but did you have any other things that you wanted to
1: no let's touch on that and then i gotta get going
0: okay my favorite direct message of the week said (laughs) scott bass from last week here's a quote from scott bass of last week "Quote: Jeremy Flores isn't my favorite French surfer. These three are, and then he proceeds to mispronounce all three names.
1: That was so true. I read that and chuckled, and uh, you know it's true. I look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a professional. I just do this as, you know, I'm gonna butcher the shit out of people's name. The better part was, I said we were mentioning Taro, yeah, for the single fin thing at at Ulu." And I was like, and that Japanese guy, and I guess Taro's from, <laughs> Taro lives, is he a California? Malibu.
0: He's from Malibu, yeah. Yeah, I
1: had
0: Malibu. Yeah. Well, I, the reason I brought up the example I did was, Jeremy Flores should be your favorite French surfer. After what went down this week, I'm reminded about the greatness of Jeremy. And I got a clip, I'm, I didn't load it into the program, but um, of Jeremy, Stace Galbraith asking Jeremy, like, hey, why did you do this event? And Jeremy's like, are you kidding me? Like, look at the surf. It's absolutely pumping. And after spending 20 years on tour, getting bashed by the judges, finally, here's an event where the judges are nailing it, you know? Um, And so I just love Jeremy's personality and his surfing. But he brought these people together and it's a who's who. Like this reminded me, this event reminded me of everything that we don't get out of Uh, the WCT, Professional Surfing. And it's the best thing of it all. Like it's the women and men are competing together. Why not? You know what I mean? Former world champs competing. Professional free surfers competing. Dane Reynolds is there. Clay Marzo is there. It's a who's who. As a consumer, it's everything that you want. Absolutely pumping surf. We still get to pick who won there are judges we still get to pick who won but without trying to make it objective in the way that the WSL has tried to make it an actual sport uh we can kind of allow for foibles in the judging like I don't know actually I didn't fine-tooth comb the judging of this event but it almost doesn't matter you know like Jeremy Flores and Michelle Barrez objectively won the event apparently they got the first spot but in the end who cares like there's not that much on the line. This is more about everybody just getting together to just shred. And then yeah. we will deem somebody a winner, but it really doesn't matter because there's not that much on the line. So I, I just thought this was the ultimate surf event.
1: Yeah, look, it was good fun, you know, and the waves were insane and that helps make everybody happy. And I enjoyed watching it. I watched some of the baguette TV footage on Stab and and it was insane, you know. Unfortunately, they couldn't do a a broadcast because they were willing to be nimble enough to move from sandbar to sandbar. And that meant no infrastructure for a a webcast. But look, um, you can't compare this to the WSL and say, and point and go, this is how it's supposed to be done. Because um, one, you you already mentioned it. This was like a festival. Let's have fun, blah, blah, blah. This is not a let's crown a world champion. And um, it's just apples and oranges, you know, and I think... You know, you've got to. You also have to. If you're going to have a sport, you have to have you're going to put on the jersey and let's get down to business and this is the real deal. And that's what this sport of surfing has been doing since you know the world contests in the 60s. You know, there's been a real um, seriousness to it, and I think that there needs to be if you want to have a sport. And I think that you and I want to have a sport and we want to crown a world champion and we want whatever governing entity that is that runs that to be serious and to do things in a serious manner and um, of course you and I and many others have been trying for years to kind of uh, comb through that and make that and, and offer our insights into the best way to do that um, but I, this is apples and oranges I'm stoked on the event it was great nobody cares you know Jeremy won his own contest that's a little weird <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. but you also aren't giving out a $100,000 to the winner, you know? Yeah. And all of a sudden that makes people kind of get serious.
0: Yeah. Well, you mentioned Baguette TV. <clears throat> Quicksilver did not have a live stream of this event online, but they did employ Stace Galbraith to host and then a cameraman and an editor to do real quick turnaround of a day-to-day recap. So it was a four-day event. There's four videos that exist. They're less than five minutes each on YouTube, and they're phenomenal. It's like such a great little snippet into not only the waves firing, but the behind-the-scenes kind of raucous atmosphere that they created as well. Uh, and Stace Galbraith is awesome. As a, like He's been doing some of the WSL broadcast in the last year or two. I've always liked him. He's great. He is a great uh, on-air personality, I think, for all of this.
1: Yeah, he does a good job, and it's kind of a tough gig because you're roaming up to people, cold, and putting a microphone with a baguette in their in their face, and and you're trying to be clever and witty, and um, you know every it's a tough situation actually that Stacey's in. It's not easy to do what he's doing, you know, because you don't know how people are going to react, and some people are just not good interviews, you know,
0: and they probably got left on the cutting room floor. You know, I mean, I'm sure he interviewed a ton more than was broadcast, but those videos are very fun. They're irreverent and very fun. And the again, the surf is just so, um, amazing. I mean, it's challenging. That's like the most challenging style of wave for me, you know, like to be in the right spot, to do all of the work, to be in the right spot, and then face your fears and scratch into a double overhead beach break thumping barrel is nuts.
1: Yeah. It's kind of next level. Um, those are expert only, beach breaks and there's miles and miles of them as we mentioned last time it's really good
0: well let me ask you this as a final question then um obviously quicksilver is part of that uh board writers buyout and shake up and bankruptcy and all of it it feels like with this event there is a reinvestment and not just this event but the branding the, the video repeater that they put out earlier in the year the investment in griffin colopinto it feels like there is a reinvestment in the core of uh, the industry and the surfers and that Quicksilver is really making a go to go back to the roots.
1: Yeah, it's funny. The the vibe I get is that, and again, I'm just riffing here with you, is that especially in the European Quicksilver community, they're just kind of like, we're just going to do our thing. (laughs) and. We're kind of like whatever you you guys over there in the mainland USA, whatever you do your thing, but we're going to do our thing. We got perfect beach breaks here and we've got a thriving surf community in Europe, especially, you know, France down into uh, Spain and Portugal and all that. And um, and whether you're here or not, we're going to be here and the waves are going to be pumping and we're going to put out content and we're going to do it for years and years and years, because at the end of the day, you know that's what surfing is. we we all love surfing. We're all going surfing and that's what Quicksilver does. And guess we're not doing, we're not going to not do it. And if we have to put out our own yeah. event
0: and our own content, we will. I agree with you. That seems to be the vibe. It's a new direction though, because it used to be, if we're going to host a big event like that, there needs to be all this buildup in advance so that we can get the marketing out of that. And then there needs to be all this outlay of content after the fact, uh, You know, so just to see them kind of invest a ton of money just for the people on site and to not get a huge, I don't know, um, imprint on the social media and all that sort of stuff is different, but awesome because it's a phenomenal event. Needs to be focused and small, I think, sometimes. Yeah, it was good. Awesome. Well, I will see you this weekend, Scott. And also, of course, make sure to come by to see uh, Mead Christian from Treeswax. Treeswax is, of course, the petroleum free surf wax. We've been talking about it now for a couple of months. Uh, it's every bit as good as any surf wax that I've ever used, but it's petroleum free. So just better for the environment. Uh, Treeswax will be at the boardroom show, but you can also get it on treeswax.com. Or I've been calling out various uh, retailers on the West Coast here who carry it. So Pier Surf in Hermosa, Rincon Designs, and then the Surf Haberdashery in Capitola also carries it. But go to treeswax.com, grab it there, and find all of the retailers.
1: Okay, David, good show. Until next time, and see you this weekend. Adios and aloha.
0: And don't forget to post your job for free at LinkedIn.com/surf. That's LinkedIn.com/surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.